Welcome back to Alpi Parsha Podcast, your Torah portion podcast. Each month we'll do a bird's eye view of all the weekly Torah portions, then we'll zoom in on a passage or theme that catches our eye, and then we'll connect it back to Judaism and our own lives. This month we'll be covering Shmot Vayera Bo Veshlachach. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Paul Saleka, and as always, I'm joined by... Aaron Rotenberg. Hey, Paul. Hey, how are you? I'm doing okay. And winter break mode here. Yeah. What is your, what's your usual winter break uh, situation? My usual winter break is to go on a Jewish meditation retreat, but I'm not. You're not. I'm here. Instead of being silent, I'm talking with you because uh, <laughs> I'm getting over COVID and I decided not to be around other people, but I'm through it, which is how we can be in the same place. Yes, we are in the same in room at the same way. time. Uh, <laughs> That's like a funny way to drop a bomb for someone. I have COVID. Oh, uh, <laughs> no. So are you going to get to do any meditation uh, on your own time this month? I hope so. I was reading uh, in my emails that were you writing a meditation session this month? Am I going to be? Didn't you read one for Hanukkah? Oh, yes, yes. We did have a Hanukkah uh, meditation, which was very nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, any good lessons and teachings? Well, just getting in touch with our hearts and emotions. <laughs> <laughs> so just the yeah, basic things, premises. Uh, the translation of uh, Hanukkah is dedication. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of framed around rededicating ourselves to like our deeply held beliefs and values. It was about like deepening with what's important to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's always relevant. I think, or I was pointing out that we kind of do that on Rosh Hashanah. We like do tshuva and say like, we're going to come back to what's really important. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, okay, on Hanukkah is another chance to do like, oh, what's really important? Let's remember that. And I feel like there's this like theme comes up throughout the Jewish year. To be shvat, new year for the trees. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's rededicate to what's important. All these kind of, I guess, mindfulness moments we can experience. Yeah. I mean, uh, me and Aaron many years ago, before the pandemic, led a led a Hanukkah retreat uh, in downtown Toronto, and I remember it was pay what you can. Yeah, and we each made I want to say twenty bucks, and that twenty bucks just felt like the most earned money I'd ever earned because it was mm -hmm. like I'd never. It's almost like an entrepreneurial thing. Like we were we ran a business in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, so that $20 just felt like the most important $20 of my life. You know, I can see why people get hooked up being an entrepreneur, um, even though we had a... Or a meditation teacher. <laughs> yeah. Even though we had valorious, what should I say valorious? Um, it's a morally upstanding thing to do, but, you know. Uh, how about you, Paul? What's going on? How nice of you to ask. <laughs> With your winter break or life. With my winter break. Well, I am going to be i might have mentioned this last episode i don't remember new year's eve is my mother-in-law's birthday so mm -hmm. we are going to one of tens of portuguese cultural centers in toronto for mm -hmm. dinner music dancing and then at midnight they have dinner again um oh double dinner yeah double dinner <laughs> my mother-in-law she was like i really want to do a traditional portuguese new year's eve where it Midnight, they bring out seafood. And I was like, you know what? For a big birthday, I will do this with her 
once. Um, oh, this is the one here? Yeah, this is the one here. So this, this is also just funny. There's so many Portuguese cultural centers. This cultural center is named after the province between Lisbon and the Algarve of the South. Um, so I guess this cultural center is for people from this specific province of Portugal. Uh, so it's just funny that it's, I think Portuguese and Italians, these are two big communities in our city that I guess are just very represented. Like, cause Aaron's literally in my house right now and my neighbor, there's all these Italian cafes, I think also based on mm. ge- geography or regions or soccer mm. clubs. So, um, mm. just, you know, another delightful little thing. Yeah. And speaking what of else is delightful things, is the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. So can you tell me a little bit about the framing and the structure of the book of Exodus? Since this is kind of our, as we went into the macro, I think more yeah. macro conversations are helpful. Yeah. So we finished off the book of Genesis last mm-hmm. time with the death of Joseph mm-hmm. and the future of the people, the children of Israel in Egypt, a little bit uncertain or everything mm-hmm. actually, it kind of was a happy ending. Everybody was doing well. They avoided the famine. The book of Exodus picks it up. And as we discussed, it moves away from being this story of one family and it opens up into the story of this new nation, this people that's coming into formation. Uh, and the, the first half really of the book of Exodus, uh, is about the narrative of the for, the formative narrative of the people of Israel, which is this story of the Exodus. What happens when the people get enslaved, how they get out, and the revelation at the end. So it's kind of like this. The flow is like, yeah, being down and out, and then getting out of slavery, and then receiving the Torah and like this revelation and deeper connection with God. And then the second half of the book of Exodus we'll get into is like, just a bunch of laws and how to build a tabernacle and mm-hmm. has a little bit of a different feel to it. But th- these are like classic sort of epic stories uh, that sort of that bring in the character of Moses, who's kind of going to be the hero and central figure from here on out in the rest of the Torah. It's interesting too, because like, I know obviously we'll be kind of going through it, but I feel like then the one step, that I feel is missing the narrative is between Genesis and Shemot. Mm -hmm. It seems like uh, a book of Exodus. Mm -hmm. It seems like the houses of Israel are very well established. Like everyone just knows what house you belong to, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're like a Ben or a Dan or whatever. Like, um, so I just wonder like in the end of the previous book, like there's these 12 brothers Mm-hmm. Um, and then in this book, there people already have these kind of like family tribes, it seems. So I'm just, I guess I'm planning a seed to anyone listening. That would be an interesting book. <laughs> like how these uh, early kind of houses or families or clans or tribes start getting developed. Yeah. That is, yeah, it does kind of skips over a bunch of generations where we don't mm-hmm. feel that. But the assumption that I have is just that there's an understanding that your family kind of becomes your tribe and... There's just like an assumption that that's how how it goes. Yeah, it's probably been an assumption for thousands of years, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me give a little stab, a bit of a summary, often right. brought Thanks. to us by Chabad.org. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, like we said, we're going through Shemot, Vayera, Bo, and Beshlecha. So my elevator summary, mm-hmm. or were you very 
Do you want to just summarize? Sorry. No, no. I, I love you. I, you got it. <laughs> Say I love you. <laughs> and I love you. <laughs> I love you. I love you, you too. Elevator summary is full. <laughs> so uh, in these books, the children of Israel multiply. And then because uh, Pharaoh is threatened by their numbers, he enslaves them and orders that the, to kill all the male babies at birth. Um, a child is born to Yocheved, uh, who is from the house of Levi. Um, and then this, this baby is put in a basket and sent down a river where uh, Pharaoh's daughter discovers it. And then Moses grows up in the palace um, and he discovers the hardship of the Hebrews. Um, and then he uh, kills an Egyptian by mistake and eventually runs away and meets up with Jethro and marries his daughter Zipporah. Zipporah. Um, and then he meets a burning bush, which is God, who tells... Mm-hmm. Um, that he go demand that the Hebrews be let go. Um, and then what happens next year? He continues to come up and ask uh, for the people to be let go. Uh, he has a little magic trick with a snake staff. Uh, and then the plagues start coming. And there's a lot of plagues. I won't get to all of them. Some of them have blood. Some of them have locust. But some of them are particularly significant. Mm-hmm. Um the one I like is the one of darkness, but I won't get into that too much. But of course, there is the plague that kills all the firstborn children, I believe, of the Egyptians. Uh, and after that, people are let go um, and they go into the desert. And apparently, this is actually from Chabad, they complain a lot. Um, and then they're attacked by the Amalekites. And that is an elevator pitch summary of the first third or half of the book of Exodus. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, so which are the important pieces to pull out here? I have a few things that jumped out to me. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious if anything is jumping out to you. What, as you're retelling it, like just what feels up is like, oh yeah, this is the most important story in Judaism, right? Like mm-hmm. there's this idea in Jewish life that we need to remember the Exodus like mm-hmm. all the time. We keep saying every Shabbat we do Kiddush, we remember Shabbat and we say, Zecher Letziah Mitzrayim, we're remembering the Exodus now. In every day in the morning service, before you do the Amidah, you're supposed to have talk about Geula, to speak about the redemption. And then mm-hmm. we mentioned the redemption from Egypt. Like every day we're always talking and thinking about this narrative. So there's a way in which it's like a just a central narrative to how we understand ourselves as Jewish people. Yeah. And I'm just saying, like wondering what that, what that's about. So what is, what makes it so central? You feel I, it does come up, I guess, a lot in liturgy as you described and maybe like thematically as well, like an emphasis on freedom uh, in yeah. Judaism. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe even interestingly, I guess in Jewish history of Jews mm-hmm. being exiled and wandering from mm-hmm. country to country, I'm sure that was kind of a recurring theme. Yeah. And also this like framing of like freedom and things working out when they're not, haven't been working out also is kind of recast as this is the first redemption. Mm-hmm. And then there's this trajectory of history. There will be the final redemption or like the messianic age that's mm-hmm. kind of connected to this story as well. So it's kind of like, this is the hardship, this is the hell, which will eventually lead to a splendid time. Uh, 
Maybe. I think, or one of the ways in which I take it is because we have this model, we know that when we were slaves in Egypt Mm -hmm. and things were really looking like they were the worst, God came and helped us out. And like a central piece, I think, of Jewish belief and faith is that that's always possible at any moment. And in our lives, in my life, I often feel down and out. As a Jewish people, we go through difficult times, like you're mentioning, over and over again. And like a central way of relating to that as Jews is to like believe like, yeah, and God at any moment can come Mm -hmm. and take us out of this. The kind of central concept of hope, I guess, that hope Mm -hmm. is the reason why we remember this. So we're brought to remember this because even though right now, um, I don't want to over speak what I'm saying, but you know, Jews living in Canada, Mm -hmm. living happy, prosperous lives with obviously lots of exceptions, uh, this narrative, if we weren't living such happy, prosperous lives, we would need a story like this to, we need to remember a story like this to give us hope for the next thing, that something will come and save us, you know, like, um, kind of makes me think, I don't agree with this interpretation of the book of Esther, but it makes me think of the book of Esther, kind of like mm-hmm. when Mar- uh, Mordecai says, uh, if you don't help us, like our help will come from another place. And we're told to believe mm-hmm. that that's God. That's um, connection. Yeah. I, 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 to me, I don't think that's what was meant in that line, but I know that's the common line that people always refer to. So that kind of, but the idea of hope that there is hope that something will take us to a better place. So you've mentioned also like that remembering the Exodus story is important <laughs> and just remembering is a funny, it's funny you mentioned this verb um, because I, you know, I was recently doing a little bit of, well, as you know, Aaron, I was like, what don't you know about me? <laughs> I was recently doing a little bit of reading about infertility in the Tanakh. Um, and when I read, I think it was Sarah and maybe Hannah and Rachel, it says God remembered them and they then were um, able to bear children. Um, so remembering, we don't, we don't usually use this word in English to mean like, a, it seems more kind of like bestowing a blessing. Like, um, or does it mean feel to you like he's literally mm. like, I'm trying to kind of understand where we're, what does remembering mean is remembering kind of like also bring up about a call to action. God remembers these women and then provides them with a family. Like we remember mm. the, uh, Exodus story and we're given move to hope and to pray and to continue onward. Like, uh, what, what's yeah. What's the word for remembering Hebrew? Like, or is there more than one? I love this question. There's more than one. <laughs> so What's word I was using the word uh, zecher, zecher or oh. zikaron, which is often the word for memory. But right as you bring up these examples, at least uh, for the example of Sarah, it uses the word pakad. Oh, okay. Which so is a different. Yeah. So there might be more than one word. Um. And I think that this is also, to me, feels like a central like question around Judaism of, of what is the role of memory and how does mm. it function? And like maybe especially around this narrative and how it's carried forward. Because it's not just about, I think you're right in pointing out, the idea is not the way that we use it, maybe in English, maybe just societally, collo- colloquially, like Oh yeah, I'm recalling this happening. There's some like more active mm-hmm. piece, right? We don't just say, we don't just like think about it, right? It's embedded in this like liturgical frame. 
there is something I think active that we're supposed to take out of it, that we remember it and bring it into our lives. So yeah, I do. I think that that's intended behind it. Like don't just remember it, but like, teach it and know it. And this also mm. comes up in like after the Israelites get out of Egypt, like it says in the, in the book of Exodus four times, like you should teach this stuff to, or like mm. remember, tell it to your children. And this is the source in the Haggadah for in Pesach, that there's four children connected mm-hmm. to these four instances of like, you should teach your children. And so there is also like, that's both memory, which right is often, backwards looking but it's connected also to teaching and forward looking as well and it feels like it's kind of to me a similar thing if that makes sense it does make sense because i'm just trying to think even as an analogy like in english i was like do we have multiple words for remembering in english i could just remember and recall maybe there's others but recalling and remembering does feel very different for me for some reason. I, don't, I can't even put it towards why. Like recalling maybe feels more uh, focusing on the information, I think, and remembering is maybe more emotional, but I, I can't even, mm-hmm. rec- I can't even <laughs> recall what the difference is between the two of them is, you know, in English. Um, so just interesting kind of comparing this word. Uh, could you say the two verbs uh, again in the infinitive? Or uh, <laughs> the ones that I said were lizkor, Lizkor, which is yeah. used more often, and lifkod Lifkod is the other one that is at least with Sarah. And as part of, in a... He recalled the Sarah thing without looking at the Tanakh either. So like Aaron, from oh, memory, <laughs> knew that. But I was going to say that it's actually the language that's used, at least in conservative liturgy in the Amidah, when we say, oh, again, Avraham, like we... we Be'ezrat, so, oh. oh, so right, so... Often people say Ezra Sarah, but the other, the, in the conservative movement, at least, they say Pakad. Pakad, uh, remembers Sarah. Yeah, and remembers Sarah. Yeah, so From, not Sarah's helper, Sarah remembers Sarah, because mm-hmm. uh, Ezra Sarah means helps Sarah, right? Yeah. Like Ezra Hashem. Yes, and uh, I saw somebody, uh, my friend Rabbi Jessica Fisher, oh. posted a, a reflection on this, which I actually think about connected to infertility and like this setting up of uh, remembering Sarah and her fertility issues as like the paradigm of like the feminine figure, like Mm -hmm. actually might be disempowering to, for people, including women who are having like, whose main way of relating to life is not in having children. Like there's some like, weighted assumption in this kind of remembering Sarah for pregnancy that I think that actually as Ratsara to me feels like a, a better, a nicer framing. Like God can remember you and doesn't have to be about mm-hmm. the ability of your body to have a child. That's not yeah. the essential thing. And the as Ratsara is just helper of Sarah is like uh just a floaty idea. Mm-hmm. And I think the people who are doing the liturgy like want to connect it to a root in the text. So like, oh, it only says, what does God actively do in a verb for Sarah? Remembers in this way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what's that's why some people are choosing to use 
this framing because that's the only active verb that they can find. Anyway. It's interesting too because previously there was no mention of Sarah in some versions of the liturgies. Mm-hmm. See, right? right. Literacy. Liturgy. Yeah. Like I think it just said shielded Abraham and then liberal denominations added either and help Sarah or remembers Sarah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting to just think about memory then because one thing I think that's very interesting to me uh, I feel like this comes up a lot is how much I love the movie Prince of Egypt. <laughs> this obviously. Yeah. So the movie Prince of Egypt, which is not the way it looks like in the Tanakh, mm-hmm. it seems like Moses in the movie does not know that he is a Hebrew until um, Miriam confronts him at a well. But in the Tanakh, it seems to me like he must must be more aware that he's of Hebrew descent. Because um, I feel like... Uh, Mm-hmm. It just seems like it's, it, it doesn't strike me that he's completely unaware of this. Like, what are you, that's what I'm thinking about memory. Like he, he probably knows he's a Hebrew, but he kind of remembers what it means to be Hebrew, I think through kind of the escalation. So like, what are your perspectives on like his Hebrew identity up until leaving uh, Egypt and remembering his Hebrew identity? Yeah. It feels like an ambiguity in the text that you're mm-hmm. pointing out that it's probably possible to read it multiple ways that it's not so clear how Moses is relating to his identity. And I do hear that, understand the narrative in a way that feels more along the lines of the Prince of Egypt's telling. Well, you say more like Prince of Egypt, like he didn't know. Or not that he doesn't know, but it does feel like it's a process of him coming into this understanding. But that if he knew, maybe it wasn't important to him in a certain, like he doesn't relate to it until he relates to it when he goes out and sees what's happening. And then it feels like that wasn't a significant part. I mean, the text doesn't, it's like reading into what the text is not saying. We don't know what his childhood was like growing up in the palace or in Pharaoh's house. Uh, but assumedly, that's not the primary thing. Like maybe everybody knew. Mm-hmm. Like it feels very possible to imagine the story that everybody knew he was a Hebrew person. His mom knew for sure, or Pharaoh's daughter knew for sure. Yeah, because she's the one who, and also like what happens to you know in the narrative too, like Yochevet, uh, his mother, uh, his it's implied that it's his sister or a different sister than Miriam. I guess they don't know which sister exactly, but probably Miriam, who suggests that he take a Hebrew wet nurse. A wet nurse is a woman who provides breast milk for a child yeah. that is not her own. Although interestingly, in this case, it is her child Yochevet who gave up her child to the Pharaoh's daughter. She becomes Moses's wet nurse and breastfeeds him. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of me also wonders, kind of like, well, in the movie, this actually doesn't happen at all in the movie. But in the Book of Exodus, like, uh, was she? Did she have a relationship to him? Was that his connection to Hebrew culture? Like, right. is the act of suckling kind of symbolic as well? Like, absorbing his culture, absorbing something to do with his people. Um, yeah. These are, it feels like it could be like a, a literary thing even, you know? Right. This uh, one framing that I like that I recently heard in the name of Reb Zalman, Tractor Shlomi, is that Moses has different stages of life and development. His mm-hmm. first stage is happening in Pharaoh's household where he's probably getting like the best university style, highest <laughs> Ivy League yeah. education that was available in like the, you know, the pinnacle of society at that time. And then he like runs away right after K 
killing an Egyptian after seeing this injustice. I mean, this, he goes out to the desert and then apprentices with Itro, this shaman. How do you say that word? Shaman or shaman are both shaman, correct. Shaman. Uh, okay. Out in the desert. Who's right? It says he's Kohen, a Kohen Midian. He is a priest of mm-hmm. some, right? And he learns about like a certain kind of way of interacting with, I'd say, the world and maybe also the divine. And then comes back to like lead the people of Israel and then like learns and leans into his identity as mm-hmm. a Hebrew, which is like another mode of learning. And he like takes all of these pieces together. And I just feel like it's an interesting, it's a, that framing feels interesting to me as somebody who moves between different worlds and sometimes in like the secular world, they pick up educational pieces, cultural pieces. Yeah. In the Jewish world, they pick up other things. And then also there's wisdom in like spiritual practices and ways of being that are not necessarily the Jewish world that still influence and are part of my life. As we mm-hmm. talk about meditation retreats, which come from a Buddhist source. Yeah, it's interesting too. Like you almost think of this as an analogy for a Jewish person. Let's say a Jewish person grew up mm-hmm. in a relatively traditional observant home, but in a non-Jewish community. When they're a kid, their Judaism maybe doesn't mean anything to them. But then when they go to someone's birthday and they're not eating bacon, okay, now it's meaning something. Yeah. Uh, now when there's a party on a Saturday, let's say, and they have to go to synagogue, now it means something else. Um, there's kind of all these layers of remembering Mm-hmm. who you are and you only remember as you walk through these phases in life. So maybe in one version, maybe mm-hmm. Moses knew he was Hebrew the whole time, let's say, and it means nothing to him. It's just kind of like having green eyes. And then as he goes through yeah. each step, okay, well, there's these people that are enslaved here. Well, now this means something to me. Okay. Now there's a family that I have here. Now this means something to me as he progresses, remembering this fact about himself becomes more and more, mm-hmm tangible it's becoming more and more solid so it's almost kind of like going through the process from gas to liquid to solid something mm-hmm. that's just this amorphous thing as he's remembering it's creating something concrete within his life yeah i like that and that feels also right to me connected back to what we were saying before that remembering as you're framing it is about mm-hmm. not just recalling but making it mean something tangible and solid Mm-hmm. For it to like really coalesce into understanding is part of what maybe remembering in a in a deep way means. And you're talking about that then those women in the Tanakh that we described where they were being remembered and they had children. I guess that's just another very physical reality. Like they were remembered and something physical came of it being their their children, their progeny. Mm-hmm. Um so that's interesting. So we've kind of taken this concept that. This is a story that we need to remember as Jewish people, as we see in our liturgy, as we see in Passover. We connect this concept of remembering to when God's blessed other people, when he remembered them. And we're also looking at what it means for Moses to remember who he is as a Hebrew as he goes through life, connecting it to analogy for each Jewish person in their own pathway, individualized, mm-hmm. can remember that they're Jewish and see what it means to them when they counter the physical reality as it settles into something more and more physical, less emo- uh, emo- ephemeral, you know? Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think there's some, this is a really fun, meaningful, <laughs> I feel like topic we've sussed out. So I'm very pleased where we landed. Yeah, I think that's a great summary. I just want to drop in two potential yeah. resources. One that I didn't mention is as we talk about liturgy, 
there's this option at the end of every morning service to include six remembrances, that there's mm. six places in the Torah which says, tells the people of Israel, you should remember these six things. And it goes through. One of them is Exodus from Egypt. One of them is Amalek, which you mentioned at the end of your summary. So if you want to look at those remembrances, one of them is Miriam. So there's pieces to remember that are part of the liturgy. And another like point of reference for me in this conversation is uh, the book Zahor, which is by Professor Yerushalmi is his last name. Um, and it's connected to this idea of active Jewish memory and creating sacred narrative as being an essential part of Jewish identity. Yosef Chaim Yerushalmi, That's Zahor, right. Jewish history and Jewish memory. Yeah. And right, as opposed to thinking about history, he's kind of saying that like history is, is not of interest to Jews for most of the way through because he kind of frames it as like history is just like remembering dry facts, but we have this sacred narrative that we engage in differently through these active processes of meaning making and memory that we're talking about. So highly recommended. Zachor, Z-A-K-H-O-R by Yosef Chaim Yerushalmi. And I want to drop a resource too, just <laughs> because I'm competitive. Uh, when I had Instagram, I don't anymore. I used to follow the Ontario Jewish Archives. That's an interesting place to oh, remember things about yeah. Jewish Ontario, one that has no bearing on my <laughs> history. But, uh, you know, for me and my partner, sometimes when we, when we visit smaller towns, it's fun to see kind of what his, Jewish history the town might have. The most satisfying one being Owen Sound, for those of you who know that background, um, mm. because it's just this last standing small town synagogue. Well, not the last one. I know there's other small town synagogues, but it's just like a very long established small town synagogue. Um, so keep on remembering, you know, it's just. <laughs> this reminds me this that reminds before me. we started recording, we said we we're going to start an Instagram account for this mm-hmm. podcast. So keep an eye out for that. Yes. Too. And the link for that account is insert link here. <laughs> it's not created yet, but probably it'll be LP Parsha podcast. Yeah. Unless that's already taken. Probably not. (laughs) Well, as always, uh, thanks for joining us. And I've been uh, Paul Saleka. And I'm Aaron Rotenberg. Take care, friends. Good night.